I want to share with you a little more about what does it look like to love Jesus. Uh, this is the series that we're in, and so this, this is your first time with us. Uh, one of the things that I believe is crucial to understand as a follower of Jesus is that you are not called to imitate behavior for behavior's sake. And you are not called to know Christ just so you can get into heaven. But instead, Jesus demonstrated for us his love for us by dying on the cross for us. And what he desires is not that we just attend church. It's not that we go to small groups, even though that is an important part. It's not that we sing as loud as we can, although I think worshiping with everything that we have is an important part of what happens here on Sunday mornings. What Jesus really wants from you and what Jesus really wants from me is for us to love him. He wants us to love him. In fact, when we look through all of the stories of what Jesus did for us, the motivation for all of it was his love for us. And so as we go through this series, we're not trying to bring in something new about the gospel. The gospel is the same as it has always been. But perhaps the way we respond, depending on your background or what your church history is, you may have come into a system that said, if you are going to love Jesus, then you just need to act like A, B, or C, whatever that is. You need to come so many times a week. You need to give so much of your money. You need to dress a certain way. You need to act a certain way. You need to make sure you never have any sins or problems. And and that is not what Jesus came for. Instead, he wants us us to love him. So I have two things I want to accomplish today. And I'm going to be honest, it's a bit aggressive for me to try to accomplish both this morning, but I'm I'm committed, and now that you're sitting here, you're committed too. Aren't you excited about that? Uh, We're going to get through both of them. But the two things I want to share with you today is, one, an incredible story of lives that have been changed. And then I also want to share a warning that Scripture gives us when we miss this crucial part of loving Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts and 2 Timothy this morning. But we're going to begin with Acts chapter 4. This is a, a story of Peter and John. Now, I want to give you some context because I want you to understand what happens. One of the problems of reading Scripture, whenever we don't look at what happens before and what happens after, is we just get a glimpse or a snapshot and we don't really understand the whole story. It's, it's like when your best friend takes a picture of you somewhere and posts it to Facebook and no one understands the rest of the story. Like, why did you post that? And then you get, you know, texts from your mom. Why is this on Facebook? You don't, you know, I got to give you context. And, and so it's important as we read scripture that we understand the context. The context of this story is in the book of Acts, which is attributed to Luke. Luke not only has his gospel, but also he reported a lot of the events following the resurrection and the ascension of Christ. And so he wrote through the book of Acts a lot of how the early church was founded. Now, Soon after Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to his disciples. And we're going to be talking in this series about Peter's incredible experience with Christ whenever he says, I love you. But Jesus said, but you're going to deny me. And Peter said, oh, no, I will never deny you. I will go to the cross with you. And yet he did deny him. And then there's an incredible story of of his restoration, which actually mimics several other stories within Scripture, old and new And we'll look at that another week. But I want you to know that the story you're going to hear today, if you've not already heard it, 
happened soon after Jesus ascended to heaven. Soon after the apostles were all in the upper room and then Pentecost happened, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to preach and speak in different languages and people were amazed. And if you'll remember, they called the the apostles, those dumb Galileans, how is it possible that they're preaching like this? And thousands upon thousands of people were being saved. And so as we enter into this story, Peter and John begin to teach and preach, and they have an incredible experience of healing. But the priests, if you'll remember, this is soon after they have had Jesus crucified. They're not really excited to see his apostles out teaching. But I want you to see what their love for Christ has done in the lives of Peter and John, especially in this story, and we're going to compare that to another story in the Old Testament. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it begins, And as they were speaking to the people... The priests and the captain of the temple of, of the, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching and the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, they're annoyed because they've just gone to great lengths to get rid of Jesus. So the fact that here we are just a few days later, Jesus has been gotten rid of, and yet his apostles are still teaching. And worse than that, people are listening. To what they are saying. So they're greatly annoyed. I think that is probably a great understatement for the fact that they were annoyed. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, many of the numbers we read about in the New Testament, they count men. It was a very patriarchal society. Well, what we know is if we, when we dig into historical records, whenever you say there were 5,000 men, you can either double or triple that number generally when you begin to count women and children as well. So what we're having here is a mass revival days after Jesus ascended to heaven. The apostles are out teaching this message Peter has been restored after denying Jesus, and lives are being changed. The priests do not like this because the priests want control over the people. That is one of the reasons that we see Jesus getting so angry with Pharisees and Sadducees. That's why we have the story of people making their pilgrimage in order to sacrifice at the temple. And yet when people began overcharging and using false weights so they could overcharge these people who had traveled long distances to buy their sacrifice, Jesus fashioned a whip and just went to town turning over tables. It's an incredible story. You know, sometimes we read through the life of a Christian that we're supposed to just smile and be meek and just not ever say or do anything. And yet if we're going to mimic Jesus, Jesus got angry at things that hurt people. And so what we see through Jesus's actions is he got angry at how they were responding. Now, the Sadducees and the high priests, they were not excited to see 5,000 men or 10 to 15,000 people losing, or not, they're not losing, but the priests losing control over those people. Because what we read about and what Jesus said over and over again is, you will have no need for anyone to go to the Father except through Jesus Christ. That is it. Now, if you've made a living as a priest, if you go through and understand they're still operating on Old Old Testament principles. In the Old Testament, priests were completely set up through the gifts of the entire nation. So everything they had, all of their money, all of their food, what they had 
depended on them getting that from their congregation. Now, to lose 15,000 people out of that congregation is a big hit for them. And so to say that they're annoyed is an understatement. It's why they got thrown in prison, the very same thing they tried to do with Jesus. You can imagine somewhere in their minds they're beginning to say, this message is catching on. I mean, we tortured and killed the founder, and yet it is still going out. This is where we find ourselves. Now, I don't necessarily want you to completely take this story from the perspective of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, or the priests and the Sadducees. That's not really the point of this story. The point of this story are the lives of Peter and John. Because I hope that as you are sitting here today, you would relate not to the Sadducees or the priests, but you would instead relate to these new believers who have experienced something incredible and their lives were changed. Knowing what had happened to Jesus, knowing they have now been arrested just as Jesus was arrested, and not knowing what was going to be coming next. This is the context of the story that we come into it was already evening so they threw him in jail the priests weren't going to come out and and deal with them so they they throw him in jail they have to stay a night many people's lives are still changed even though they're arrested and verse 5 says on the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in jerusalem with annas the high priest caiaphas and john and alexander now annas was the high priest Caiaphas was a priest. John, who we don't really know, but don't confuse this John with the John who's with Peter. This is a different John, possibly a Jonathan, who is said to have been a child of Annas, and also Alexander. We don't know a whole lot about John and Alexander, but this is a priestly family. So this whole group of priests have come out to judge them. Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Now, we can see through all of the exchanges between the Sadducees and Jesus, entrapment was their number one way to get a conviction. Now, we know entrapment is supposed to be illegal in our nation today, right? But it does happen. For them, this was their mode of operation. We're going to entrap you. So by whose name have you done this thing? Now, what we know about this story is the thing that got the attention of all those thousands of people was a man who had been crippled from birth. And as they were preaching, they healed that man where it says his legs straightened out and he stood up. Now, if you see something like that happen, not somebody who was brought into town for this experience, but you saw them every day at the gate begging, or you saw them struggling to get down the road every day of their life, and all of a sudden they get up and their legs straighten out, you're interested. If you ever have anything wrong in your life, you're very interested. And if you're sick, if you're struggling, if you yourself are crippled, then you have to know what has just happened. And the thing about this point of history is that before Scripture was given to us, before we had an account that we could count on, the way that the attention of the people was received and the way that they stopped people in their tracks was to do these incredible acts and these incredible miracles of healing, of raising from the dead, of doing these incredible things. 
So once you see that, you can't deny it, but yet you can also be upset that this is happening. The priest did not appreciate all that was happening in the name of Jesus, even though I'm sure they were happy for the man who was healed. What we know about Peter and John and what I believe you can know in your own life is that when you fall in love with Jesus, your life changes. When you fall in love with Jesus, your life changes. Why would Peter and John stay where they were? Why would they stay in jail and not decide, I'm just going to give this all up? If we just tell them we don't believe this and we won't do this again, we can go. If Peter will just say, you know what? I denied him before and he took me back. I can deny him again, get out of jail, and he'll take me back again. Why did they not do that? It's an incredible story of what they decided to do. When you fall in love with Jesus, when you truly know who he is, he is your Savior. He is the Son of God. He is the one that takes things that are old and ripped and tattered, things that are broken and ugly, and he makes them new. When you look back on your life and you can stack up the regrets that you wish you had not done, and he can erase those from having any further effect on you, that causes you to fall in love with him all the more. It tell, scripture tells us that whenever you become a follower of Jesus, whenever you fall in love with him, an, an incredible number of things happen supernaturally that change all of eternity. You become baptized by the Holy Spirit, which means the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, all of a sudden you are able to understand Scripture. You are able to hear from God and you are able to perform incredible things within your life as a gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we begin to understand what it means to love Jesus, we begin to change. And and the way we act changes. The fruit of the Holy Spirit within us causes us to do incredible things like being good and patient and kind It's incredible what happens when you become a follower of Jesus and you fall in love with him. You are made new. You become a child of God. Scripture tells us that all the angels in heaven throw an incredible party that someone has seen the truth. They have been rescued from the clutches of hell. It's incredible what happens when we fall in love with Jesus. But not only does your life change when you fall in love with Jesus, what you will find if you haven't already and I'm sure many, if not all of you have, is that when you fall in love with Jesus, others' attitudes about you may change too. This is an uncomfortable reality in knowing Christ. That whenever you fall in love with Jesus, people will begin to look at you differently. They will begin to treat you differently. Now, there are different groups of people. Sometimes that's a good thing, right? Hopefully within the church, you are received as a brother or a sister in Christ. No matter what's going on in your life, we love you, we accept you, we receive you. You are our people. We are your people. We are a people together. I mean, that hopefully happens within churches. It doesn't always happen, but if we believe what Scripture says, that is what's supposed to happen. You're with me, and I'm with you, and I don't care what's going on with you. I will be with you through it. That's a good thing. The world does not always see us that way, though. This is one of the struggles that we have at this time and in this age. 
And this time and in this age, we are coming off the end of a time of great popularity within culture. We are coming to a place of, of people being very cynical of the church, people being very cautious of Christians, and often looking at you and saying, you, there's something wrong with you. And while that has happened around the world since Jesus walked the world, the world that you live in has been a lot easier in years past than it is right now. Because when other people look at you and you know who Jesus is, and your view of the world changes, their view of you may change too. And the reason it's an uncomfortable reality is because when we love Jesus, it is supposed to cause us to love other people. And it's hard to love someone who doesn't love you back, isn't it? It's hard. In fact, that is the example Jesus gave us. While, while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Not when you cleaned yourself up, Christ died for you. Not when you showed promise, Christ died for you. But while you showed no promise, Christ died for you. He showed us that it was by his loving us that we had an invitation to love him back. And that is the way our relationship is going to be with the world that does not see Jesus as Savior. We are going to love them. And many are not going to love us back. In fact, they may hate us. It's an uncomfortable reality. For Peter and John, here they are proclaiming the truth. I mean, the Son of God has come. He has performed these miracles. They put him on the cross and he died. He walked out of the tomb and ascended to heaven, preparing a place for all of us one day when we'll get to go and be with him forever. They know this is truth. It's not theory. It's not a good idea. It's not a great story. This is true. And yet, as Peter and John proclaim this freedom to thousands of people, there are a group of people that do not want them to do that. They don't welcome it. They don't celebrate. They don't say, preach it. But instead, they threw him in jail. As we continue with our story, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear how Peter responds. Now, I want you to remember, this is just days after Peter denied Jesus three times, and later was restored by him. This is right just within days. This is how Peter changed. Something changed, and you'll remember. If, let me ask you, quiz you here. We'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, but quiz you here. When Jesus restored Peter, he asked him the same question over and over again. Do you remember what that question was? Are you going to do this again? That wasn't the question. Are you sorry? That wasn't the question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? See, many of us go from Sunday to Sunday or from church to church, and we struggle to feel that our relationship with Christ is real and alive. We feel like it's something we're supposed to do, but it doesn't feel real. One of the reasons it doesn't feel real is because we have misunderstood the point of the gospel. And we have assumed somewhere down the road, I do this thing to make sure I'm okay when I die. But what Jesus wants and what it means to really know him is that you love him now. And so as Jesus was restoring Peter, I'm getting into a new sermon here. So we got three today. This is awesome. You are so lucky today. I can't tell you how lucky you are. I know you feel it. 
But as Jesus was restoring Peter, the central burning question, the central issue of what's going on in his life is this. Do you love me? We can tell by what Peter's about to say that Peter, at some point in that exchange, understood and he moved to that place of, I love him. In fact, he responds each time, you know I love you. And this is what happens next. Verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that. Sometimes we wonder what happens if something really goes wrong or goes south, or I really don't know how to respond. I love it. It says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't just come up with this stuff on his own. The Holy Spirit is there to help you and partner with you. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, healing that crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I love this, whom you crucified. I mean, he's going on the offense here. Whom you crucified. You, I can imagine there's a finger going right in their faces, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus Christ, the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved and in his response not a oh i don't know him oh we we won't say his name oh we can we'll perform the miracles but we just won't we won't mention jesus instead he proclaims the very message that has got him arrested he continues to move forward he continues to press and he tells the priests what they don't want to know but yet somewhere down the line they forgot that the point of life was to know and love God. See, the priests, they did everything in the temple. You brought your sacrifices, they made atonement. If you needed to do something to atone for a sin, they told you what you needed to do. And what we have time and time again is people, because we are fallen and broken, not just them, but all of us, we see time and time again is that they would fall and the priest couldn't handle the responsibility. And they would begin to take what they weren't supposed to take. They would begin to ask as a tax from people things that they were not supposed to ask from them. And so as this is shared with them, what we find in the life of Peter and John is that when you fall in love with Jesus, your perspective on life changes. When you fall in love with Jesus, the way you see the world changes in a way that you can never unsee it that way again. Now, you can deny it. You can say, I don't want this. You can say, that, you know, I don't really want to follow what Jesus has said here. I'm going to do what I think I want to do. I, I think Jesus was wrong on this. I, we can reject it, but we cannot unsee it. You know, in the parable of the seeds, Jesus said people will receive the gospel in different ways. There will be those that receive it, and it, it, it takes root and they are changed forever by it. And then there are those, and, and they're going to get excited about it at first, and there's going to be some sprouts, but then they're going to get choked out because they're not going to see 
as God wants them to see. They're just going to look at the world the way the world sees the world, and they're going to get confused and distracted, and then it's going to die in them. They never truly knew Christ. And then you've got those that are just going to outright reject it. They're just not open at all to this news. They are so focused on themselves. They are so focused on their own desires that they cannot see the world differently. But when you love Jesus, the way you see the world It changes. The next verse, 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Again, I love how Jesus chooses people. They were astonished. That's why he chose them. Not that a more polished, more educated person would have done a better job, but we would have attributed what they did to their polished education not to the power of God in them. So as you sit here and think, you know, I just see people who are so good at talking about Scripture and so good about praying, and they're just so good about talking to people, and they're just, I'm just, that's, I just can't do that. Understand, when you love Jesus, the way you see yourself changes, and you understand it is God who works in you. It is not you that does it yourself. It's an amazing thing what Jesus wants to do within us. It's an amazing thing when our hearts change, our our, our worldview changes. For Peter and John, some of the changes within them, they no longer were concerned whether they died. They were no longer concerned what the repercussions would be for the things that they were doing. They spoke with boldness, confidence. It's an incredible thing when you speak with confidence. Now, you can, you can take this and apply this anywhere in your life that you want to apply it. If you get up in front of a group of people, or if you're one-on-one talking to someone, and you talk to them as if you are apologetic about everything you're about to say, you can trust that they're not going to take your word for anything you're about to say. It's the way we're hardwired. It's an incredible thing when you begin to see people who have have large audiences to realize they have learned a key that you have to speak with confidence. You have to speak with boldness. If you act like you know what you're talking about, this is an incredible thing. This is where discernment is crucial for Christians. But if you act like you know what you're talking about, people will believe you know what you're talking about. It's really not rocket science. It's the way we respond. Think about yourself. If someone comes up to you and they're just hemming and hawing, you, know, you all know what that means, right? You know what hemming and hawing means? A few of you do, okay. Those of you who grew up with hee-haw, maybe. <laughs> they're hemming and hawing. They're, I don't know, you know, maybe I... We don't have time for that. I don't want to listen to that. I don't believe you when you speak to me like that. But if you come up and you speak with boldness and confidence, your believability just went off the scale. Now, you can fake it. These are not talk about. We talked about this yesterday. You can fake it. If you're in business or you're at work and you just feel like you are ill-equipped and you're not that great at what you do, you, if you want to see people's response to you change, act in confidence. Even if you don't feel confident, you know, fake it. But what happened with Peter and John and what happens in the life of someone who loves Jesus, even if you're an introverted person who likes to hold things in, you don't have to fake it. 
There is a confidence that comes in, in, in you that just says, I have seen this to be true. I know this to be true. We know this is reality, not what we thought, but what we have seen through Christ. This is real. And so it changed them. And so as their worldview changed, their boldness increased. And the gospel ceased to be a collection of facts that needed to be shared in a a certain sequence so people might accept Jesus. And the gospel instead became the very lifeblood and the very breath that they took in every single day. Everything had to do with the gospel within their lives because it was the gospel that brought them life. Those things change when your worldview changes. What we see in verse 13, I love what it says at the end of verse 13. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. Peter and John were changed because they had been with Jesus. I mean, what would it have been like to have seen Jesus perform the miracles? What would it have been like to have been with him when Lazarus walked out of the tomb? What would it have been like to have been at the wedding where he turned water into wine? I'll be honest, which one of those got you more excited? Which one did you want to be at? Wouldn't it have been incredible to have watched him do those things? Wouldn't I feel more confident if I had seen Jesus bring a man out of the grave? I would probably either be terrified or confident. One of the two, maybe both. They had been with Jesus. Last week, we talked about the importance of abiding in him. This is the process of being with Jesus, spending time with him, both in word and in prayer and in action. When he speaks to you and says, go and do this, you go and do that. Even if it scares you to death, there's a confidence because you know Jesus is real. And he empowers those he instructs. Let me ask you a question I don't want you to answer, but I want you to think about it. Can you point to something definite that has changed in you since you met Jesus? Can you point to something that has changed in you since you met Jesus? Other than what you understand about Jesus. So you can learn a lot about Jesus and never be changed. The priests knew a whole lot about the coming Messiah and never saw that Jesus was him. Something should change in us. Now, that doesn't mean, and some of you are probably already thinking this, you know, some of the things I struggled with before I became a Christian, I still struggle with. Is, it, does anybody, is that anybody's story in the room? It's my story. I would like to say, I'm a pastor. I love Jesus. I don't struggle. I'd love to say that, but it wouldn't be true. I'd love to say, I never sin. I mean, I am so, I mean Jesus and I are so right here together. If, if Jesus hadn't come, he could have used my life as an example. I mean, I could have been the Savior. You know, I'd like to be able to say that. It would make me feel good, but it would be absolutely not true. And those of you who spend any time with me at all know that's not true. But instead, we know that something changes. When I became a Christian, something changed in me. I, I was hungry in school to be accepted by people. Now, I know that's a very rare thing to happen to people, but I really wanted to be accepted by my peers. And so to be accepted by my peers, I did what my peers did, and my peers didn't always do good things in order to be accepted by them. The language we used to communicate was not always edifying. Surprise, surprise. Things you did on the weekend were not always the things your parents said you could do. 
But in order to be accepted, you had to do these things. I remember one of the very first things that happened to me whenever I knew Jesus was real. Whenever I said, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and I want you to be my Savior. One of the very first things that happened was I stopped caring so much what other people thought of me which is a very liberating thing. And I know some of you in this room would do anything to have that. I'm not going to pretend that I don't care at all what people think of me. But in that moment, I realized Jesus is real. I want him, and they are not going to give me that. I would love to say that from that point forward, I never did anything wrong. Again, not true. But still, something changed in me. So as you sit here, when I ask you that question, has anything changed in you? I'm not asking, do you have any faults? Because if you do, you don't know Jesus. Truth is, if we have faults, that's the only way we can know Jesus. But has something changed in you that you know, I love him, I have changed? I hope there is. If not, that's something for you to think about. As we continue in this this story, this is the response they got. Seeing the man who was standing beside them, which, you know, this is kind of an open and shut case. We're talking about the the priests here at this point. So Peter has said this thing. They're looking around, and here's this guy. You know, I can just imagine him. He's just sitting over here, looking around. Cripple, right here. Couldn't stand. Standing. You know, I can just imagine how comical this was. And the priest, you know, She's healed. I mean, we couldn't do that. I don't know what we should do here. So as Jesus is, or as the crippled man is standing there, and Peter and John are sitting here knowing they have no case, seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, they didn't want to lose their control. They didn't want to lose the base of their taxation. So that it would no longer spread among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Talk about a rhetorical statement. You want us to listen to you or the one who raised this man from the dead? Who do you want us to listen to? Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's what happens when we fall in love with Jesus. We have to tell people. We have to let them in on this thing because it transforms us. It has changed us. Verse 21, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I mean, they've seen him for years, decades, struggling. For these guys and for you, you're not in court. You've not been brought up on charges. You're not worried about being tortured or put on a cross. But for you, how does that apply? And I would say this. For Peter and John, the uncertain future no longer held power over them. 
For them, the uncertain future was, what are they going to do with us? They tortured and killed Jesus days ago. What are they going to do to us? But when you know the truth, when you fall in love with Jesus, what happens down the road ceases to hold control over you because you trust in the one who has given you life to see you through it. Now, this is kind of an open and shut case. It's a pretty incredible story. I just want to contrast this with another story in the Old Testament very quickly. story you know. We don't need to read a lot of it. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their response is very similar to Peter and John, although they were really in dire straits. Because the king had said, I, I, has erected a statue of himself, and everyone must bow down. And they said, we can't bow down. You're not God. How can we bow down? And his advisors said to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to kill these guys. I mean, they're going to mess up the whole system. They're not bowing down to you. They're not worshiping you. And so to execute them, it is planned to put them in a furnace and burn them. Now, you know this story, but do you remember their response? I love their response. It's one of my favorite responses in all of Scripture. Daniel 3, verse 13 says, Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In verse 16, if you don't have this underlined or highlighted or or something, you need to do that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, but if not, if he lets us burn alive, and we're gone, eradicated from this earth where there's nothing left of us, You cremate us here alive, right in this place. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. When you have seen Jesus, your view of the world changes. And when you love Jesus, the way you live in that world changes. And as I read these stories, especially the stories in Acts, you know, pastors don't really like reading the stories in Acts. I don't know if you know this or not. Because they really are depressing. They go out, heal a guy, give a half-hearted, it's not half-hearted, it's whole-hearted, but they give a presentation of the gospel and 15,000 people get saved. I've never experienced that. I'm a little jealous, a little envious, and I don't really like reading that over and over. It points to my failure because I've never had 15,000 people come to know Christ, nor have I healed somebody who was crippled and could not stand for 40 years, stand up. I've never done that. It makes me feel inferior, it makes me feel insecure, and it makes me feel like I'm not a good pastor. I don't like that. I'm just being honest with you. Pastors don't really like Acts. We teach from it because you're supposed to go out and bring the 15,000 in, right? We ourselves feel insecure up here trying to teach this stuff, but I do love to read it. And you would think by reading this, that here now, 2,000 years later, we would just, the church would be going crazy with people worshiping. 
and experiencing this, seeing Jesus and loving Jesus and loving each other and doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing as the church. And yet as I look around at the world, that's not what's happening. Does anyone else struggle with that? I struggle with that. I believe this stuff to be true. I told you I wanted to give you a story of lives that were changed, but I also wanted to give you a warning. Well, here, this is the warning. It comes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it talks about what's going to happen as history evolves. This is what's going to happen. Understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as with that of those two men. This is a warning that Paul is giving through Timothy. He's warning us that we are not going to desire to love God. We are not going to be drawn to love Him and to love what is good. But instead, the world is going to continually love themselves. The world is going to continually continue to love pleasure instead of loving Him. The story of the weak women, before you get all upset with Paul, what he's saying here is, these guys, we're, we're not talking about, I mean, I mean, this is, depending on how you've heard this before, we're not talking about people outside the church. Paul's writing this about people in the church, people who go to church every week. He's talking about people that say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. This is who this is addressed to. And he's saying there are going to be people that call themselves Christians that don't love God nor love what's good. They love themselves. They love pleasure. They love sin. They love everything about the world except loving Jesus. And these men, they're so bad, they're going to go in and they're going to find women that are just messed up. They've got all kinds of problems and, and they make poor choices because of the problems in their lives. And they're going to take advantage of those women. That's how bad they are. He's saying this is in the church. We're living in this time right now. This is the warning. That when we love worship music, when we love phenomenal, outstanding preaching that you can't get anywhere else other than Journey Church in Chattanooga. No, I'm kidding. When you love coming in and sitting in a comfortable chair and seeing cool backdrops. 
but you don't love Jesus, you don't know Jesus. And many of those people in the church today, I believe what is happening. I, I for one, am 100% excited for what's happening in the church right now. I don't just mean our church. I mean the church at large. I am 100% excited what's happening in the church because many of those have lost their cover loving all the things of the world in the church and they're leaving the church. And most people are saying how terrible a thing this is. Our churches are closing their doors and people are not attending church anymore. You know what? They didn't love Jesus to begin with. But they came believing that they knew him. And if they are finally to the place of realizing, I really don't care about Jesus, at least they're now honest. And they have an opportunity to know him. When we pretend and when we play, whenever we don't truly give our hearts to him, it doesn't really matter what we do, what kind of sets we have and what kind of sermons we have, what kind of music we have. None of that matters. Because it still all comes down to the central concept, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. That's why in places that you can't have a church like this, the gospel is exploding. That's why people who will meet in a church knowing that someone from the state or from you know, the national government, if they know they're here, they're going to show up and eliminate everyone in the room. Yet they still come why the gospel is exploding in these nations where Christianity is not allowed because they know it's not about all these trappings it's about knowing and loving Jesus we have to be careful I was a pastor to church once and I don't want to tell you which church and I don't want to tell you any names I don't want to mention any names I pastored to church once it was one of the most enlightening moments of my ministry ever. And what happens when you're a young pastor and someone calls you to their churches, they, they call and they want you to come and revolutionize their church and make it you know, effective for God and all these things. And as a young pastor, you're, you're an idiot. And so you believe them and you think you're all that in a bag of chips and you're not. And so then you go and you realize... They don't listen to me. They don't like me. And I'm not getting anything accomplished here. I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. And as you get older, you, you learn a, little, a few things. But I went into a church, and we had one leader in the church, and he, he fought against me on everything. Now, I wasn't trying to do crazy stuff like put, you know, pallet wood in the sanctuary. That's crazy stuff in some churches. I wasn't trying to do that. I wasn't trying to even change the color of the choir robes. I mean, I wasn't doing anything really that. I was just trying to reach people for Jesus. And uh, he opposed everything. Lifelong member of the church. You know, had their name all over the church. Why you, if you donate something here, we won't put your name on it. I mean, we won't even tell people you did it. <laughs> and aren't we wonderful? Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you're giving... You know, give it. <laughs> if you're giving it to have your name on the wall, you're buying your name on the wall. You know, that's different. Anyways, had his name all over the place. I always felt like when I spoke with him, something was wrong. I couldn't put my finger on it. I just, something within me said, okay, I don't like that you disagree with me. I mean, none of us like that, but something was wrong here. The man eventually died. And it did his funeral. Something happened in that church when that man died. 
When that man died, people began to say, you know, you know, he beat his wife their whole lives. He abused her the whole time. And there's a leader in the church, names all over the church. And I had two simultaneous emotions. Emotion number one was sickness, just, just nausea. <laughs> it felt nauseous. I mean, I felt, I felt shame. I felt guilt. How, how could we have missed this? How did I not know this? How did we not rescue her? Amazingly, she just blossomed when he died. Crazy thing, right? My second simultaneous emotion was pure anger. Pure anger. How could you people know this and not say anything? I mean, you talk about wanting to fashion a whip and go after people. I wanted to do it, but I was afraid I'd go to jail. You know, I said a little, you know, well, probably wasn't, but I probably should have done it. No, I probably shouldn't have. I still would like to do it, but I won't. All right, now it's about, now my sermon's gone about me. But Here, Here's the point of why I share this story with you. That church has and still does have a cloud over it. Still struggling to figure out why things are the way they are. I'll tell you why they are the way they are. Not because there aren't wonderful people there, because there are. There's some wonderful people there. But when you embrace sin like that, when you don't fight for justice for those who are being oppressed the way that Jesus does and said we will do if we love him, you bring a cloud over. The Holy Spirit withdraws. So that's happening all over the world. It's happening on churches all over the place. It's a warning. The reason I share this warning, it's not a warning just for you. It's a warning for me. I have to remember these things. I have to recognize I am no better than them. I could easily fall into this. So how did Paul suggest we deal with that warning? You're probably going to get tired of this because it's a consistent message in each of these sermons. The very next verse, talk, after talking about all these people that will love pleasure and love all these other things, He goes right into verse 10. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How do we fight against lovers of pleasure? We spend time in God's Word. Now, you've got to be careful when we talk about this. That is the answer for most of our problems. However, it is very possible to love His Word and not love Jesus. This is where we read that, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Knowledge makes us feel good. I know a lot about Jesus. Do you know that reference? How many verses can you quote? How many verses do you live? I mean, you know, that's sometimes what you want to say. That wasn't very Christian of me, but 
It's true. Here's what I want to leave you with today. If you've been a Christian for a while, your decision-making process is going to change. If you've been a Christian for a number of years and you still make decisions the same way you did when you got saved, something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you have not regularly spent time in God's Word and you've been a Christian for years, you have missed out on what Jesus wanted to do in your life. Bottom line, I don't care how many times you came to church, how many sermons you listened to, or what radio station you listened to on the way to work. I don't care. If you have not spent time in God's Word, you are not where God wants you to be right now. It is impossible. Whenever you are changed, the way you make decisions and the way you live your life changes too. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you never sin because we're still broken people waiting to be rescued finally either by Christ's return or when we die and get to go to heaven. We're still waiting for that, so we're still going to struggle. But if nothing changes, then there's a problem. There's a problem. A lot of the way God speaks to me. I would love to say that God and I have a standing appointment at Starbucks. I get me a coffee, I get him a coffee, and then he just shows up and then just we talk for a while. I th- that would be awesome. It never happened. And if it does happen, you probably need to make me an appointment with somebody. But the way God speaks to me most of the time is through his word. Now, I don't mean that whenever I sit down and I'm going, gosh, I just don't feel very happy today. I'm going to read some verses on joy. Okay, there we go. I'm worried today. I'm just going to read this verse on worry. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that when you spend regular time in Scripture and you are absorbing it and you are just taking it in, even if you're reading it and going, oh, that's interesting, but I don't know what I'm going to do with that, but interesting. Even if you just pull that stuff in, oftentimes when I communicate with God, the way He responds to me is bringing to my mind things I've read about His Word. And that is most of the time how God speaks to me. Other times, I mean, He does kind of hit me over the side of the head with things. Generally makes me trip up and fall whenever I think I'm all that. But most of the time, let me give you some examples. And I give this, and I don't mean to keep harping on this, but I give this as an example because this is a big part of where we are right now in life and the things that we're doing. But when we started considering fostering, and some of you have said, I'm thinking about doing that. I think that's awesome. I, 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 I want to just kind of tell you how that process worked for me. Now hang in there. I know you're tired and hungry, but I want you to hang in just for the next couple of minutes. I think this matters. One of the very first things I thought of when Dieter and I began talking about it, the very first thing that came to my mind was I have too many other things to do than to foster a child. I have too much to do. I don't have time. And I remember when I said that, I remember praying about this and saying to God, you know, God, I know this is something we're talking about, but I don't think it's something I can do. I mean, I'm a pastor, as if you didn't know that. Like somehow, you know, that's supposed to be my entire focus. And James 1.27 came to mind. Oh, so you're a pastor. (laughs) Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Okay, I guess I don't have too many other things to do, God. My next one was, I don't want the responsibility. And I don't want to lose my free time. I don't have much anyways. This is, I'm going to have none if we take on a foster child. And I don't even know what issues they're going to come with. I don't even know what they're going to do to my kids. I don't know what they're going to do to us. I mean, I don't know. I, but I don't want this responsibility. And I don't want to lose my own time. And Matthew 16 came to mind. 
It says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. I hear that verse all the time, to be honest. Not just this. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? God doesn't play when you pray through his word. That's, that rhymes. I didn't even make that up. I, I just made that up. That's good. I'm gonna, I can write a song about that. God doesn't play when it comes to praying his word. That's good. You should write that down. Next thing I thought of, well, this is not what I planned for my life. I've got plans. I know what's going to happen. I know what I want to accomplish. Proverbs 16, 9 came to my heart. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You see a pattern? Uh, I'm not saying that you're supposed to all go foster. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you because God said these things to me. God doesn't lead everybody to foster. And every person, every Christian decided to foster would be an amazing thing. There would be no more foster kids that needed a home. There would be no more kids that needed to be adopted. I mean, if everyone did, I mean, there's just not enough of them, although right now there's a great shortage. For me, this is what we needed to do. Began to think, what about our own kids? We've heard the stories. We know what this could do to our own kids. Proverbs 22, 6 came up, one that many of you parents are hanging on to. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. How am I going to train them up? Let's put a messed up kid in their life every day they got to live with. That'll mess them up. How am I going to train them to love people that other people don't love if we don't show them how to love people that other people don't love? You know, what I'm trying to show you is not that we're super spiritual, but what I'm trying to show you is that through studying God's Word over time, God began to answer each one of those things in me through His Word. This is why Paul is saying, if you want to, to truly follow God, be in His Word, because that's how He speaks to us. Some other ways that God does this through, through His Word is, you know, some of the most popular shows on TV for Christians are some of the most disgusting shows that you could possibly watch but christians love them and talk about them on facebook all the time it's amazing when it comes to watching something inappropriate yeah but the reviews are so good i mean there's a lot of nudity and sex and a lot of stuff in it that i just don't need to be exposed to but the storyline is awesome which by the way if that is your go-to excuse it's the exact same excuse to say i read playboy for the articles it's the exact same excuse interestingly enough playboy couldn't make it when they say, we're not going to have any of those pictures anymore. We're a serious news magazine. People read ours for our articles. We know it. They tell us all the time. I don't care about your pictures. I read it for the articles. Amazingly, they're putting the pictures back in because they couldn't make it with just the articles. Nobody wanted to read Playboy without the pictures. Or Playgirl. Let's be fair. Watching something appropriate. It's a great storyline. Good reviews. 1 Corinthians 6 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Flee it. There are no caveats for good storylines. What about feeling anxious? Anybody feel anxious? I feel anxious. If things aren't going the way I need to go, and I'm looking at the clock, clock says 1153, I was supposed to be done with this sermon eight minutes ago, and I'm still going. I'm feeling anxious. I know you are too. But when I, somebody in the back is laughing now, <laughs> you know, the band's getting ready. They're laughing back there. When I'm feeling anxious, I don't distract myself. 
I pray about it. God, I, you know, I don't know what, how I'm feeling this way, but I, you know, what am I supposed to do here? Philippians 4, 6, don't be anxious about anything. And everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. What am I supposed to do? I'm feeling anxious. I'm praying about it. That's what I'm supposed to do. Which leads me to trust God. The invitation is not just to stop and pray. The invitation is to trust Him with whatever's making you anxious. And for me, when I pray His Word, and I know that that is what His Word says, and I'm supposed to trust Him, I actually relax a little bit. doesn't mean all anxiety goes, but I actually relax because I know God's got this. I'm not supposed to have this. He's going to take care of this. When you love Jesus, you are changed. I don't say this to make you feel guilty if you don't feel changed. But I want you to know that if you're walking through your Christian life feeling dead and like nothing is happening, I want you to know that maybe maybe you need to address this issue. Do I really love Jesus? As I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, how do you know what you really love? Where are you spending your time? What are your thoughts always on? Where do you commit to? Where do you spend your resources? I want to find out where, what somebody loves. Just see where their focus is. But when you love Jesus, you're changed. For those of you who think, you know, I have been changed, but I have not changed enough, and I feel bad about that. I think one of the biggest disservices that we did in the church back in the 80s and 90s was we, we, we gave a list of things that... It, what you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. And that is not what it means to follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is what I'm going to leave you with. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. If you know Christ, the old has passed away, the new has come. Rest in that. Know that even though you have not maybe made the strides that you wanted to make at this point in your life, doesn't mean that you don't know Him. But instead, know that He's doing something amazing in you. Be free in the knowledge that as long as you continue to follow Him, immerse yourself in His Word and live that out, you will experience the change that we're talking about. Be patient and be excited about what God is doing in you. Alternatively, if you do not experience, have not experienced any change in your life, I do the same things I've always done. I think the same things I've always thought. I act the same way I've always acted. I'm just being myself. I will tell you there's a cause for concern. Understand that when we know him, we love him. And when we love him, it changes us. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we make priorities. It changes the way we act. Next week, we're going to continue in our series. We're going to take a break for Mother's Day. Um, but we, we've got about three more weeks of some other things I want to share with you. Again, I hope this is encouraging to many of you. I hope it's encouraging to all of you. I hope that if you're struggling in your faith, that you will begin to pray about what does it look like to truly love Jesus. And let him show you, because I believe he will. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love when I was unlovable. I thank you that you have accepted me when I was unacceptable. 
Father, I thank you that you speak through your word today just as you did back then. Father, I pray that you would help us to be like Peter and John, being willing and able to speak with boldness and confidence about who you are and what you mean to us in our lives, that we will lead other people to experience the same. Father, I thank you that we can love you and we can be changed. I thank you that you are willing to do the work within us and that we don't have to do all the work ourselves. Father, I pray that you would help us in this next song as we worship. Help us to truly worship you, not just sing the song, not just say these lyrics, not just wait to get out of here to go eat lunch, but, Father, that that we would worship you and tell you we love you and show you through our song and through our hearts that you are the most important thing in our lives. Help us to worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.